Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Board Games Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 282, BGG Hotness, July 2020. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode, but especially Ryan, who upgraded his membership. Thanks, my friend. You rock. All right, Anthony, we are back. It is mid-July. And we are keeping a close eye on everything that's coming out in the board gaming industry, especially all those hotness, all those great new fun games that were supposed to hit the convention circuit. But unfortunately, they had to find other ways into the hands and at the tables of all listeners out there. So we got a couple of them coming up to let people know what might be hitting the table soon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's obviously a very strange year. We don't know what's going on with... (laughs) anything in our hobby and that seems like the smallest part of the world like i don't um obviously we're still playing games we're talking about games we're having a podcast here for you guys but you know look outside just look out the window (laughs) stuff going on out there um but the result of that of course no conventions this year the normal summer buzz around everything is not there these a lot of companies aren't doing what i would consider the best job (laughs) announcing and discussing their games so we're kind of trying to comb through and find stuff using the BGG list that they've put up for the summer preview and all the games that have been added since we did this in June and a few others that kind of popped up along the way. So just some highlights of games coming up that we think you guys should keep an eye out for. There are a lot of games actually releasing at the end of July that were probably planned to come out at Gen Con. So we're going to talk about a few of those as well. Absolutely. So stay with us because not just this episode, but as I mentioned About a month ago, we're going to stick with all of the hot games coming out from BGG so you know what to pre-order, what to pick up online, you know, where to go to purchase those games so that you can get those games to your table, whether it's family, friends, or hopefully when we actually get back to the table itself. But that's not all, Anthony. We're doing a lot of other stuff for our Patreon backers. What's going on with that? Yeah, I mentioned this last week, and uh, thank you to a couple people who joined already to catch these episodes, but we are putting up every single week uh, collection episodes. These are run-throughs that each of us are doing individually of every single game we own. Every single one. So (laughs) we've gone through, I've gone through two, Chris, we just put up your third one. So 
we have five episodes up already from the last month and yes. mine volume three is going to go up this coming weekend right after you guys are listening to this and yeah it's 15 to 20 or so games from our shelves why we got them when we got them whether we play them whether we don't play them as comes up a lot in my case and why we own so many of certain kinds right and it's it's a lot of fun and it's introspective for us honestly as much as if not more than you guys so it's kind of a cool fun way to share our you know absorption of the hobby because we might talk about one or two games a week on here but we also have hundreds more in the closet maybe we haven't talked about <laughs> it's a very autobiographical list so very much as anthony was saying the whole history of the game why it's on the shelf why it's got played not got played and our passion love for the game or cringing embarrassment of not having played the game yet so you will hear the extreme ups and extreme downs and hopefully we'll be able to get through this together because it's definitely one of those situations where the list continues to grow the collection continues to grow and hopefully eventually one day all these games at the table will continue to grow all right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with BGA. Don't forget, there's a lot more on our Patreon account, so you can jump in and hit us up on Slack. And obviously, one of our newest Patreon backer levels is play a game with us. So there are plenty of platforms out there that we've already talked about. So if you're looking for some gamers at your table, hit us up on Patreon, and we'd be happy to get a game with you at the online table. All right, Anthony, that's everything that's going on with BGA. Now let's get on to our listeners. What's our question of the week? All right, question of the week this week is, what is the most replayable game in your collection? What game can you get to the table over and over and over and over again? <laughs> Whether because you love it so much or because there's just so much variability in the box. So we got answers kind of on both sides of the spectrum for that. Uh, David mentioned Terraforming Mars, which he's played over 90 times, Scythe, which he's played over 50, and how Spirit Island is rapidly catching up um, with 22 plays so far in 2020. Uh, Michael mentions some of his most played games, Nations, Wingspan, and Terra Mystica. Uh, Christopher mentions Shadows of Brimstone, which makes sense because I know a lot of people treat this as a lifestyle game for which there are literally hundreds of expansions at this point. So I have played this at some point and the person who owned it had everything. So I could see getting a lot out of this, both because there's a lot there and because you want to get your money's worth out of the game. <laughs> Drew mentioned Quacks of Quedlinburg. Looking forward to getting the expansion. They haven't even gotten that far yet. Pete mentions Teotihuacan, as well as Libertalia and Dominion. Uh, a few people mentioned Dominion. I think that one has a lot of staying power with all the expansions. Scott mentioned Aeon's End and Spirit Island, of course. Um, Race for the Galaxy came up a couple of times, especially online. Um, Andre mentioned he's played it 800 times online. Wow. Crazy. John mentions <laughs> Arkham Horror LCG, which I would also put up there because I have so much of it. I could probably play this thing forever at this point. <laughs> so mm. I'll never get through it. A couple other games mentioned on the list. Anachrony, Raccoon Tycoon, Chess, because, I mean, obviously, that game certainly has staying power. Gloomhaven probably just because of the sheer volume of Gloomhaven, if nothing else. So lots of good stuff. I think for me, the games I've played the most, obviously, are things like Terraforming Mars and Spirit Island, which were mentioned on here, Arkham Horror LCG. The ones that are easiest to get to the table are really anything abstract. So like Santorini or Onitama, those games I've played 
dozens probably more times and it's because i can play it with literally anyone you know my five-year-old my nine-year-old my wife my gamer friends can play any permutation those one-on-one you know 20-minute abstracts so those ones tend to be if i had to like pick one or two games just that i could play forever it'd be something like that where it's just you can never quite master it and it's easy to just replay over and over again hmm I guess for my group answer, that's going to be Concordia. It's a game that always hits a table. It's always liked. It has enough in its expansions that it's gotten multiple, multiple table sessions, both with its different maps, its recent Salsa expansion to it, and the recent Venus expansions actually gotten some table time too. So if I had to guess what my game group was playing and what's most replayable, probably Concordia. For me, the game that's most replayable, like if I stick it in my bag, I know it's going to get played, is probably Dinosaur Island. And that's probably for two reasons. One, because it's dinosaurs. (laughs) And two, probably because the way they've set up the graphic design and the different stages to the game, you can put this in front of anybody at any level. You could set the length of the game. You know, you can walk them through. We roll the dice. You pick the dice. You place the dice. You pick this. You pick the dinosaurs. There's nothing, you know, overly complicated. There's no hidden information in the game. And again, dinosaurs. So, yeah, I I think Dinosaur Island will always be my kind of like, if I need to get a game to the table or if I need to bring a game, what game would that be? It's going to be Dinosaur Island. It's a good one. All right, so that's the question of the week for us. But please check us out on all of our social media platforms. We talk about this every week, but we want you to grab a friend this time. Ask them the question of the week. So when you see it pop up on Facebook, Twitter, all our social media accounts, let you know a friend in on that. Ask them what their most replayable game is and hit us up or let them know about the podcast. Obviously, your word is the best word for spreading board gaming out there. So let them know about Board Gamers Anonymous. All right, Anthony, that's everything that is going on with our listeners. Let's get on to the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right, yes. So the summer of Kickstarter continues with just so much stuff on there. So much stuff. I (laughs) I don't know that I never thought we would reach a point where I would not back the new Terraforming Mars Kickstarter and wow. probably not back the new Mind Clash Kickstarter because it's just too much stuff, right? I don't even know you anymore, man. I know. Like, what happened to you? you <laughs> and I'm backing cool. 18xx wins. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so fast forward a little bit. I got a press release in my email like last week for a new Kickstarter that goes up this week, I believe on Thursday. So the day this is coming out for a game called Daimyo Rebirth of the Empire. So this is from La Boite de Joux. I'm probably saying that wrong, but that's the name of the publisher. Um, they previously had Kickstarters up for It's a Wonderful World, which is a very uh, successful um, uh, drafting game that a lot of people compared to Seven Wonders. Um, they did Netatonka, a uh, worker placement game that I really enjoyed um, with a cool theme. Um, Outlive, which I know is kind of an undersung um, gem that a lot of people like. And so... I was interested because they've done good work and all their stuff has been delivered as it should be. And it's got a cool theme. It's feudal Japan, but it's like post-apocalyptic feudal Japan. So (laughs) it's after the apocalypse, far the future, people decide, hey, here's the Bushido code, but we're going to follow it in a really weird 
terrifying way, right? Wait, hold on and, a second. Are, are, are you saying a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> so it's both the past and the future? Okay, go ahead. Pretty much, yeah. As all good uh, post-apocalyptic uh, things are. So in it, you are the leader of one of these clans. You're trying to become the emperor in what is probably effectively Japan. They call it the archipelago of the six. So, you know, the six islands of Japan, but it is. (laughs) um, And so it has a lot of things in common with other area control games that take place in Japan. But of course the theme is a little less historical, a little more mixed up. And uh, mechanically it has a bit more going on than just straight area control influence. Right. So you, you have some dice rolling and allocation, you have hand management, you're trying to utilize your cards and manipulate the board. Um, has a lot of miniatures. They look pretty cool. So I haven't seen the full spectrum of what this game has to offer yet because I haven't posted the actual Kickstarter page yet. But I definitely have my eyes on it because uh, I've liked the stuff that this company has put out. I like the look of this. Um, and mechanically, it sounds to be a little more interesting than just a straight um, area control game, which a lot of games that take place in Japan end up being because just historically, that's kind of that theme makes the most sense. You just get a game like Shogun or Rising Sun or something. We're just like, take the space, hold the space. So I want to see what they do with that because it seems pretty cool. So that is Daimyo Rebirth of the Empire going up on Kickstarter sometime later this week, uh, unless they delay it, of course. But yeah, check it out. I'll be checking it out. And we'll we'll see what we all think together. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a next level type of game. As you mentioned, merging those two kind of genre themes with area control the board's pretty crazy looking there's a lot of stuff going on the board and there's dice so dice is always nice and then as you mentioned the themes itself really are kind of beautifully depicted in the artwork here the cards look fantastic so i'm really interested to see how this all plays out maybe the kickstarter will have endless numbers of miniatures on here i mean it's something that's definitely worth taking a look at and new ideas are always welcome so yeah i'm really looking forward to this too yeah we'll just see if it's crazy expensive or not because that is the all the, the other theme right now is kickstarters you th- that looks cool it's 250 dollars a out <laughs> so. i think we've had to reassess our what's ridiculously expensive on kickstarter i think the days are gone of the you know 50 60 dollar game on kickstarter I'm fine with an $800 game on Kickstarter. It's like the $275 games where I'm like, Jeez. I don't know. <laughs> Kids college fun. Kickstarter game. Kids college fun. Pretty much. Kickstarter yeah. game. I'm oh, not sure. He doesn't need to go to college. He's got he's got future ninjas and samurai and stuff. Sure. <laughs> sure it's all good. Well, speaking of ridiculous high cost Kickstarters that later you regret massively i want to talk about an upcoming kickstarter it should be popping up within the last week or two simon just received and put out new information about their new i guess campaign game massive darkness 2 now i don't want to give away too much because i'm sure at some point once i get to massive darkness in my you know patreon cry and roll into a fetal position kind of podcast i will talk about how one day and i don't remember i supposedly backed this and then completely forgot about this and it showed up at my door and was like i backed this that was funny when yeah 
<laughs> I was like, hey, look what so, I got. And you're like, I got it too. And I'm like, you don't back these kinds of games. What happened? <laughs> I do not. I, 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 I seriously do not know how or when or why Massive Darkness ended up in a cart and ended up at my house. I can, I honestly, hand to God, could not explain it to you. Could, can't, can't, not even a little bit. So somehow, by some sort of magical powers, I, I, again, I'm not sure if I actually did, but somehow did back Massive Darkness. It's sitting in my shelf with all of its many, many expansions with this. I got it and was like, oh, all right. Well, before I open this up, a local convention is playing the game. So let me go down there and be able to see you know what the game's all about before i open this up because again don't remember backing this and obviously it was it was you know it was it it cost a couple of pennies so i played it and it's fine and it's just fine it's not bad it's just fine it's a lot of really cool miniatures and such but it's fine so i've been sitting with this and wondering what to do with this for quite some time did i want to eventually open it do i want to like you know, keep it in my collection forever? Do I want to try to sell it, which I've never sold a game really at this point. I usually give my games to charity to to sell away. So this was something that was a little larger than, you know, the typical kind of charity game. So I wasn't sure what to do. And then when I got this news about Simon releasing a new version, the second version of this, I was kind of intrigued because my hopes, and they haven't been confirmed yet, was that with this new version, which includes... Six new heroes, which is good. Three male, three female, as, as they make a point. That That's fine. And it's also going to include different mix and match powers and classes and such. Okay, standard, get it, dungeon crawl, makes a lot of sense. But what they're doing here is they're changing up the gameplay. At least the combat gameplay. And they're changing up the classes. A whole bunch of changes to the game. So... That's interesting because now, obviously, if there is some changes that would make the game better, then I would, of course, keep my copy. But I'm not sure yet. Although what they're saying here is with their new characters, for example, rogues will have a cloth bag that they will pull action tokens from. As they progress in the game, they're able to manipulate what tokens go in the bag, making this token building mechanism important and directly built into their play. Meanwhile, in the wizard class, their spells are tied to a rondel that they must maintain the balance between the mana that they're getting versus the spells that they want to cast. This creates a cooldown dynamic, preventing them from using the same spells over and over again. So they'll need to take extra care when deciding what spells to use. And then there's a berserker who has a mechanic as far as different stances, but wants to take damage in order to be able to spend that kind of rage into different abilities. So I like this idea. I like this idea of new asymmetrical kind of game mechanics for each of the different characters. Again, I'm hoping that this follows true with all of the previous one, but I don't know yet. So I will be keeping an eye on this because, again, there seems to be some changes. Simon is, again, investing into this system. So I'm hoping that they correct whatever was just okay about the game and make it extraordinary. Yeah, me too. I sold mine because, like you said, it was it was just fine, and the yeah. like the leveling system to like those to replicate like a dungeon crawly RPG type of thing. It just didn't work 
It wasn't very fun. Yeah. So the game was really best played as one-offs. And for that much stuff, you're like, I don't want to do that. So I got rid of it, but I didn't hate it. It was definitely a soft play at the time. It was just, it happened and be worth a lot of money. So I sold it on eBay. <laughs> so I will take a look at this though. And I think that's the one fundamental problem that I'm having with Kickstarter currently. And it's not a problem for the publishers. And I understand why they're doing what they're doing. And it does make sense. But when you have to financially invest into not just the core box, but all of its possible future expansions all at once, then you're dropping, as you mentioned, Anthony, like 150, 200, 250 on a game. But to get to the table, you feel like you want to bring all of that to the table at once, not just, you know, the core box or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think these investments in these different games are important and I think they're valuable because it's wonderful that these publishers get these games to the market and Kickstarter does a fantastic job for that. And I think we're all very thankful for it, but we need more information. So I'm looking forward to getting more information on Massive Darkness 2 should pop up in the next week or two. So stay tuned. All right, Anthony, so that's everything that we want at the table. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table on the tablet, and we'll let everyone know if those games are a buy, and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play, and they should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge, they should avoid them at all costs. Or if those games are the dreaded burn, and you somehow picked it up, have it in hand, and somehow want to toss it as far away as possible, it gets a burn, my friend. So what did you have up this week? All right, this week I have the only Spiel des nominee that I could get my hands on. It's the only one in print here in the U.S., Nova Luna. So this is a new game from Uwe Rosenberg and Cornet von Morcel, and it is an interesting game for a couple of reasons. One, it's Uwe Rosenberg taking the game Habitats from Morcel and applying some of the mechanics from Patchwork to it. And two, it's an Uwe Rosenberg game with no victory points. It's a race game. And it's an abstract. So it has some of those puzzle elements we've seen in a lot of his recent games, but it's not actually a puzzle. I mean, it is a puzzle game, but it's not those kinds of puzzle games. There's no polyominoes. So it's just very different than a lot of things he's released of late. And I think for me, at least, that's why I just didn't give it a second thought when it first hit the shelves. Um, But having gone back to it and gotten a chance to play it a few times, I am happy to say that it is quite good. So (laughs) I can see why it got its nomination. The game is a tile drafting game. So you have a moon board in the middle of the table. It has space for 11 tiles and then the moon token. And on your turn, you're going to take one of the tiles that is up to three spaces away from the moon. So similar to patchwork, you have like a limited number of tiles that are available to you. You pick one and it'll have a number printed on it. That's the time. And then you're your own little icon will move that many spaces ahead on the moon track. And whoever is further back on the moon track is the person who gets to take the next turn. So similar to patchwork, if you take one really big one, like a seven pointer, and the next player maybe can take a one and a two, another two, and then a five, right? They could get four tiles as they catch up to you. Again, similar to patchwork, the higher the number, generally the better the tile Not always, because in this, it's very dependent on what you need for your own tableau, but you definitely want to balance that out. If you just take a bunch of big numbers, you're probably going to lose. So the goal of the game is to place these tiles in front of you, and on each of them, it has zero to three goals, quote unquote, which is like a little circle with some colored icons in it. So 
you know, you might have a blue tile that has two circles, two goals. One of them is three red dots and one is two um, yellow dots. And what that means is next to your tile, you need to have a chain of three red dots and a chain of two yellow dots. And so you can either have those tiles be directly adjacent to that, or you can have them be in a group adjacent to it. So maybe you have like one red tile adjacent to your blue tile, and then two more red tiles that are adjacent to that first red tile, which gets you your three. And so that's basically it. That's the core mechanic of the game. And when you complete any of these goals, you put one of your discs on top of it, and you're trying to get rid of your discs first. The first person to use up all their discs wins the game. So it is a race. There are no points. That's pretty much what you're trying to do. So you're building out your tableau. You're manipulating where they are. You're trying to plan in ahead as much as you can. But at any given point, you only know a few of the tiles that are available. The board doesn't refill with new tiles until you have two or fewer that are out there. Um, so maybe the ones that come out next time are not the ones you need at all. So you need to kind of diversify a little bit as you build out so that you can't have a tableau where all you need is yellow and then you refill the the moon board and zero yellow come out because then you're definitely going to lose the game. So you have to be a little clever about how you build it out, what you prep for. The game is, again, very good. Really, really enjoyable. Um, it's quick. It's super easy to teach. It's even a little bit simpler than a game like Patchwork because it is just like you take the tile, you put it here. This is what you're trying to do with it. It does take a little bit of effort, especially for the kids to wrap their head around like the combinations and when to cap a goal. You kind of, for me, at least I had to keep an eye on them and make sure that they weren't missing any, um, which they did miss a few. So that is something to keep in mind. Uh, but otherwise, like it's just, it's very smooth. It's very clean. Um, it reminded me not mechanically, but just at least the feeling of it, of like an Azul when you first play it, because it's just so simple and um, straightforward. So I definitely really enjoy this game quite a bit. Uh, the solo game, and it does have one, and it's got decent rules, is good, but I don't love it because you only get two refills of the board. So you're at the most, we'll see 22 tiles. And so the draw on that second pull can be very devastating if you don't plan it right. If you do get all your discs out, you're probably going to win the game. And it's just a matter of comparing scores. But if you don't get all your discs out, there's a good chance you lose. So I don't know. I'm not. I played it and it only takes like 10 or 15 minutes. So I'll probably play it a few more times. But it's not my favorite solo puzzly abstracty type thing. But the multiplayer is fantastic. It seems like it was originally designed for two players just based on the number of discs that you use. You use fewer discs with more players. But I see no reason why more players would be any worse of an experience. So yeah, gameplay wise, this is fantastic. It's a buy. The the thing on the buy part, though, is that Stronghold brought it to the US and Stronghold <sighs> charges so much money for the games. This game has a one little board. Uh, I don't remember how many tiles, maybe 50 or so. And then like some discs, tiny little baby discs um, for everybody, like Maracaibo sized discs. And it's 50 bucks. Like wow. <laughs> the box is like three quarters empty. It's so bad. And like Azul only costs 40 and it has like, you know, those yeah. big like tiles in there. I'm like, what is this? What are we doing here? So I didn't buy it at first because it was too expensive. And I know a lot of other people have avoided it. And honestly, I think they probably sank this game unless it wins next week. The Spiel des Jahres. 
I don't think this game's going to do super well because it's way too much for what it is. For a light 30 to 45 minute abstract family type of game, why is it $50? And it's just what they do. They underprint and overprice, but uh, it's just, it's a killer here. So Nova Luna's a buy. Don't spend that much on it though. So wait for it to go on sale or, I mean, they're never going to cut the price, but maybe someone else will print it someday or get get a copy out of Europe. I'm sure those are cheaper. You know, it's it's really sad, as you mentioned, because there are a lot of good games out there that because they were overpriced, they just never got that, you know, six month window of table time. That's so crucial for games to kind of hit the market and hit it hard enough that people actually play the games, talk about the games and then other people pick it up and, be, and it kind of snowballs from there. This game, like I think Via Nebula was one of those games way back when where it was like 60 or $80. I think it may have even been $80 at one point. And it was just like way too expensive. No one bought it. And then went on like a massive sale and then everyone picked it up or people picked it up. But at that point, it was way past its prime. Same thing here, as you mentioned. I didn't even look at this because of the price. And also the cover is kind of bland. Although I do love the graphic design on the inside and the artwork. So... And, you know, I, I think that there is a price point for family games. And if it's going to be light, if it's going to be a family game, then you fall into competition with the mass market games that are just better known. So can you have a mass market game? Funko's putting out mass market games around the clock, and they're relatively reasonable. $40, $30 games in some cases. Here paying $50 is just so for something that's an unknown quantity with no IP on it. Again, I want to support this to the ends of the earth. I mean, Uwe Rosenberg, man. So, I don't know. I, like you said, I, I can't I can't in good faith pick this up for, for the current SMRP. Maybe when it does eventually hit online. Look, like you said, Azul. Azul is kind of the standard, and Azul is not cheap. They Plan B games don't make cheap games. Like, if you've ever bought a Plan B game, when it first comes out, you're like, oh, ah. Like, Alma Mater is coming out, Plan B, uh, Eggerspiel, and it's just like, it hits you in the chest. It's like a $70 game, but, oh, I'm getting good stuff for this? Here, it just never really makes clear sense. So uh, it's a shame, because this looks like a, a really great game, and I love Tableau Builders. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the one thing that drives me the most crazy about this. And it's the conversation I had when it came in at the local store, because the owner was like, this is great, you should really try it out. I'm like, I can't. I don't know, 50 bucks. You pick up the box, it feels empty. And the artwork is nice. I like the aesthetic yeah. of it. And it's yeah. just, I don't know, make the tiles thick. I don't know how you, what you do to this to justify the price. You just need to bring the price down. Like, and you can go to the BGG page and look at the comments. It's sitting at a 7.4 right now, which I feel like sure. it should be a little bit higher just based on the buzz yeah. I've heard. But at least a third to half of the comments that gave it less than an eight were like, eh, the price. <laughs> like, so I think a lot of people sure. similar to me, like I might give this game a nine because it's definitely my kind of game, but I'd drop it down to a seven and a half or an eight just because I don't know. The price is too much. And solo game's not perfect. And it just, it needs to have all the things to justify that kind of price point. And I know we're harping on the price a lot. And for some people, it's not a big deal, but I think it's important to discuss this because in my opinion, too many companies just have reached the point where like, just crank it up, we'll charge whatever. And people are paying it, but there's a line, right? And sure, certain games show us the line. This may be one of them. Yeah. 
just because I think like again, it's it's in the family range that has so much competition, and there's so many good abstracts out there, and Azul has three games out there, so it's a welcome addition for sure. Like you said, this this if it's a nine for you, it's probably going to be a nine or higher for me, just because I love Tableau Builders and I I do like this aesthetic, you know, with the exception of the cover. So yeah, but it's probably never going to hit my table, but I'm glad you put it on my radar because now I will seek this out. All right. Well, I didn't get anything to the table this week, but I wanted to let people know about a couple of different games that I have been getting to the tablet this week. And in particular, a couple of betas that I've been playing on Board Game Arena. First up, Potion Explosion. This was a recent beta that's now in full-fledged mode on Board Game Arena. Potion Explosion is all about pulling marbles from a display to build up these wacky potions that will give you a special ability plus points and then allow you to do other things which mostly along the lines are taking other marbles to build up other potions i love potion explosion i I bought the game owned it it's pretty expensive it was crazy heavy to ship with all those marbles in it and it's had a couple of expansions haven't picked up the expansions yet but this game has gotten to the table my family the problem with this game typically was the downtime there's a lot of downtime in between the game as far as picking out the marbles, if I take this, then this will break and this will break. And then, okay, but maybe if I should pick this one, this implementation does a very good job of making that work a lot quicker. It's a little smarter as far as that's concerned. So I highly recommend uh, checking out Potion Explosion on Board Game Arena. Recently, Anthony and I got a chance to play Downforce. This is a game I played way back when at a Barnes and Noble And it was a light family weight game, and it was all about playing cards to move your race cars around the track. And then there's a betting mechanic as you hit these different lines. So you could bet on your car or someone else's car throughout the game. And then there's an additional special player bonuses and special abilities that you can also bet on. It's a light family weight game. It's a reprint from reprint from reprint from way back when. And I think recently it's got an expansion or going to get an expansion. It's fun. It's fast. It's about 30 some odd minutes, depending on how many players you play with the game. And basically you're just trying to get your cars across the track first. So it's a nice little pickup. And finally, the biggest and the best one of all, the voyages of Marco Polo have finally hit board game arena. This was a big surprise. Marco Polo is one of my favorite and Anthony's favorite worker placement games of all time. It's a great dice rolling manipulation game where you're picking up resources to complete contracts and to follow Marco Polo's great track throughout Asia. And as you do so, you'll gain special abilities throughout the game. This is kind of the quintessential worker placement game these days or dice placement games as far as that goes. The special abilities really open the game up. They're kind of game breaking, but everyone kind of gets a game breaking one. This game, despite, you know, the complexity to this, both at the table and now at the tablet is pretty damn quick. And I'm really happy about that. I thought this game would be slow and kind of chug down a little bit. You know, it's still in beta beta form, so it has to kind of like get out some of those bugs here and there. But otherwise, it works quite well and another high recommendation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially Marco Polo. I... I have played Marco Polo online on Yukata maybe 50 times. <laughs> it is one of my all-time favorite games in my top 10. And it's it's not great over there. You can't see the whole map at once. You have to switch back and forth. The load-in takes a long time um, as it loads all the assets. 
And the I mean, the one nice thing I always love about Yukata is you can undo your move, which you can still do there. But this is just a much prettier implementation. It's easier to see things. It's cleaner. Uh, it is a little bit faster. So yeah, I'm all on board for this one. All right, so that's everything that's hitting our table and tablet. Now on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are looking at BGG Hotness July 2020. We've already talked about how games are having a little bit of a challenge getting out there to the market and getting out there to your tables. So we want to bring you the hotness of the hotness, let you know what games will be available for purchase, what games will be at your publishers or your local friendly game store or your online outlets. So, Anthony, why don't you take us through some of the hotness on BGG? All right. Yeah. So this is a little messier than we normally do uh, because everything's messier right now. It is 2020. So (laughs) there's no clean way to do this anymore. So what I've done is I've gone through the new game releases on BoardGameGeek that they've put together, which is awesome which is basically their convention preview interface, but it's just the whole summer, right? And it's not nearly as detailed as you normally get because it's just trickling in slowly throughout the summer. And I've pulled together a lot of games that are releasing towards the end of July in that window where they would have come out at Gen Con. It's not all of them because they haven't all been published here yet. Fantasy Flight hasn't announced theirs yet. They're still doing their um, in-flight report, uh, I think on July 28th, maybe like right before the convention starts. So we'll talk about that in two weeks once they do that. But, and there's a few other companies, of course, not releasing their lists yet either, or maybe they're holding the games back, but there are a bunch. There's a whole bunch of games that are coming out in two, three weeks. So we're going to talk about those here, as well as a few others that have recently come out, but maybe you couldn't find yet. So first on the list, we have Raiders of Scythia. This is a re-implementation of Raiders of the North Sea. Um, from Garpill Games and uh, designer Shem Phillips. And it has a different artwork than what you see on the Raiders of the North Sea trilogy and his second trilogy, the West Kingdom. It's a little more interesting. It's a little more, um, I don't know. I don't know how you even categorize this, but it's definitely different. All of his other games have definitely had like a unique uh, aesthetic. This one does not. Instead of kind of the fictional... Um, uh, Viking world of the original trilogy. Now you have the Greeks, the Persians, and the Assyrians kind of fighting it out <laughs> in the uh, in the ancient world. And so the mechanics are relatively similar. It does take pieces from each of the expansions that made that original game better. I'm intrigued because it it looks like a repackaged, polished version of Raiders of the North Sea. Raiders of the North Sea was a little too simple for me. So having something that draws in all the extra stuff and then kind of smooths it all out is pretty interesting. So this one comes out on July 29th. Um, I believe Renegade's doing direct shipping for this. So I think you can order from them and then it'll probably be a game stores like a few weeks after that. Yeah. I like the new aesthetic here greatly. I mean, I didn't mind the other one, but I just have way too many Vikings games and, and I like the kind of old school aesthetic here. So if this game could bring me along to the, their other games, I think I'll actually pick this one up. I, I really like the look of it. All right, next up we have, um, so just in general, Funko Games has gone crazy this year. So (laughs) they launched their stuff last year. They had like the Funko Pop uh, board game, whatever the heck they call it, Funkoverse, that's right. Um, That launched last year at Gen Con, and it was very difficult to buy, to go through this whole ticketing process. I couldn't get into the room, so I didn't buy anything. It's fine. 
I have since picked it up. It's interesting. It's, you know, pretty basic family weight dudes on a map game. But this year, they've released so much stuff. So they have coming out here in the next few weeks, they have Yacht Rock. They have Pop-Tarts Game. They have Last Defense, which is a cooperative dice rolling game. Um, it looks like you're fighting against just various types of monsters. They have Marvel Battle World, which actually came out last month uh, in Target stores, uh, but I don't think it's in anywhere else yet. They have Godzilla Tokyo Clash, um, also came out a couple weeks ago in Target stores, and Pan Am, which came out again a few weeks ago at Target stores. Um, Back to the Future, Back in Time uh, came out a little bit before that. So these all came out or are coming out within like a seven week window. Like definitely these guys were on top of the convention window this year. Um, It's unfortunate that the convention window never opened, but they were on it. Uh, A lot of these games have very high ratings. I have not had a chance to play any of them yet, but Pan Am, I know I've heard a lot of good things about that. Um, Godzilla looks like a fun uh, kind of, you know, family weight alternative to like the King of Tokyo with like actual Godzilla monsters. Funkoverse, like I said, is is solid. Uh, They have new stuff coming out for that. So yeah, Funko Games, man. I guess when you get the budget, when Prospero Hall got the budget by being bought by Funko, they're going to town. Yeah, I think this is, again, not terribly surprising, but we were just talking about how in that kind of family weight, light, abstract kind of area of board gaming, Funko has moved in and moved in hard. I mean, every big box store, especially Target, is showing off their games and once upon time, we already talked about the Back to the Future game that they're bringing out. These used to be bad games. These used to be quick, you know, hit, cheap kind of stuff, but they're actually pretty decent. And that's shocking, <laughs> but it's great. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to all of these. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up, we have the second expansion for Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle the charms and potions expansion. So the first expansion uh, came out a couple years ago. Now it's actually been a little while, but the original release of this game was a knock over old people run through the convention hall release. Like people freaked out (laughs) for Harry Potter Hogwarts battle. And the expansion wasn't much better. People were still knocking stuff over to get to that game. Um, So I don't doubt that this would have been the same. Uh, It does debut in that window of when Gen Con would have been. And I know several people who will be picking this up. So, yeah, I know this is going to be on a lot of people's wish lists uh, coming up. But will they knock people over? See, you you keep just <laughs> prefacing the whole thing that social distancing, man. Over. No, it's social distancing. I don't know. <laughs> Get like a t-shirt know. cannon and just shoot it at people. <laughs> Fall down. <laughs> yeah, I I mean this this is this is fine. This is great. Yeah. So if, if you haven't gotten enough of it already, here's some more. So yeah, more of the same is always a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and it's, got, right. uh, it's got Ginny Weasley as a playable character. So yeah, I'm up on board for this. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. All right. So next up, we've got a new game from Rio Grande Games, and they never market anything. So this one is actually already out. Never saw it. Never heard of it. But I'm sure it would have been a like an Origins Gen Con kind of push. Uh, Nevada City. Uh, it's a Western game. It's a worker placement game. I'll be honest, it looks a little dry, but most Western games these days do. So we'll see how it goes. And because of the type of game it is and when it would have released, 
there's no way I'm picking this up before I get back to another convention because they discount their games so much when they come out. So definitely track it down at some point, though. Yeah, I, again, I get it. Like you said, as, as far as games are concerned, as far as a, a dry, uh, you know, worker placement game in the American West, I think this is becoming another of the played out kind of genres in board gaming. I think it's it's kind of hit that a little too hard where this would normally be a game that you'd want to pick up automatically, where now it's like, eh, I could wait a little bit on this, but it, it still does look very good. All right. So I have a question for you. Uh huh. Betrayal at House on the Hill. Has, uh-huh. It's a cult favorite. I'm not a huge fan, but people love it. There's a D and D version. They reskinned it. Baldur's what is Gate. the next theme that you would apply to Betrayal at House on the Hill? Scooby Dooby Doo, yeah. where are you? <laughs> so this one was going to come out at Gen Con. Uh, Scooby Doo, Betrayal at Mystery Mansion. It is, of course, going to be in big box stores. You'll see this everywhere. Uh, Just like the other two Betrayal at House on the Hill versions. Pricing looks super aggressive, uh, as you'd expect from Hasbro. It's like 35 bucks. And it's another Betrayal game. So I have zero interest. But I know a lot of people who love these. And I guess this would be a cool way to introduce the system to kids without scaring them. So, Yeah. I don't know how they're going to alter the haunts so that they're not even slightly horrific. Uh, I, you know, I grew up with Scooby-Doo and I was a big Scooby-Doo fan. So, you know, I have a lot of childhood invested in that. I mean, Betrayal was fine. I played through it multiple times. The Boulder Gate one, I was a little more interested, but never got a chance to get to the table. The Scooby-Doo one's fine. You know, it's, it's great that it's going to hit mass market kind of appeal because it's really the perfect skinning of that game. Again, not really sure how they're going to play out the the mysteries, but yeah, this, this is, this is fine. Yeah. I'm happy for this. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up is an undaunted North Africa. And this is the sequel to undaunted Normandy, which a lot of people considered one of the better card games slash two player games last year. I still haven't had a chance to play it myself, but I know several people who've highly recommended it as a just quick tactical war game. That's very card driven. So it's not, like this big sprawling map and it takes like 45 minutes instead of three hours. So I'm definitely interested in it. I wish I had gotten a chance to play it. This is the sequel to that and moves from Normandy to North Africa. Um, so the British versus versus the Italians in world war two and presumably adds some, you know, additional types of units and mechanics in a different type of war theater. So I'm intrigued. Uh, I honestly play either of them. I don't care. I just want to give it a shot at some point, but, um, I do know a lot of people are pretty hyped for this. Yeah, this is fine. Um, it's like you said, it's it's fine. <laughs> Lots of it's fines. Um, yeah. Well, here's one that I know you're excited for, or maybe it's just okay. me I'm projecting. I don't know. Tekkenu Obelisk of the Sun. This is the new... Wait uh, a minute. That's easy for you to say. <laughs> you're assuming I said it correctly. So. <laughs> I'm assuming you said it more correctly than I would ever be able to say it. So good on you, my friend. Good on you. We need Jason to come back and tell me if I'm saying it wrong. Because I know Teotihuacan, I was saying wrong forever. And I felt really good about it. And he's like, you're saying it super wrong, dude. So. <laughs> Somewhere he's yelling at you. If you have to listen very, very quietly, you can hear him in the background. Just an echo from Connecticut. You're so wrong. Um, so this is the new game from Daniel Tashini and Board and Dice Games. Um, they've made a joke about it now. And they're so they're going to do this for the rest of time. That all these games are going to be start with a T and be impossible to say. 
So that's fun. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, but it is the new Tashini game. It looks really interesting. It's the direct sequel to Tatuakan in terms of, you know, you know, the... I, I know, like, can't Trismegistus in the middle there, but I feel like this one fits more in line with, like, the theme and approach of, like, a Zulkin or a Tatuakan than Trismegistus, which felt like a little bit more of a um, departure from that. But anyways, big obelisk in the middle. Shadows play a role, which is interesting. I have already pre-ordered my copy, and I believe it's releasing on the 31st, so hopefully it shows up sometime in August. And uh, has a solo mode by David Turchi. So, yeah, literally everything I could want in a game is here. I just hope it's good. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think this is going to be good. I, 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 I think that we don't have to worry about this one. Yeah, yeah, I would not imagine. Next one up is a little lighter one. Uh, it's called Meeple Towers from WizKids. Uh, it's supposed to come out at Gen Con, and it is exactly as it sounds. It is a dexterity game in which you are stacking meeples up and building little towers out of them and trying to keep everything together. So uh, this kind of stuff always captures my attention. It looks perfectly fun for kids. It looks lighter and less expensive than something like a you know Rampage in Meeple City or uh, Men at Work both of those being other dexterity games where you stack meeples in some way. So probably going to check this one out. I probably would have picked something like this up if I'd gone to Gen Con. So I'll keep my eyes out for it. And WizKids does a horrible job of promoting their game. So this could be amazing and we'd have no idea. (laughs) It's a pass for me. It just looks a little too bland. I'd rather play Meeple Circus, but teach us on. Yep. Um, Alma Mater, you already mentioned this guy, uh, uh-huh. it's from Eggert Spiel. This was going to be a big Gen Con release and it is now shipping whenever they feel like it, uh, from wherever. So it is the, if nothing else, the, uh, artistic sequel to Queenbra and, uh, has the, obviously the design team behind Queenbra as well in here. So I am super duper on board haven't really done a lot of reading i just saw the designers i saw the artwork and i saw the publisher and i'm like i'm in i'm done we're good yeah the the information has gone out to very small outlets mostly european outlets so it hasn't gotten a lot of attention in the u.s but it's definitely one of my must-have games for the summer as you said the pedigree is way up there the components the production the artwork everything is very much in that kind of same category that being said as I mentioned earlier, this is pretty expensive, especially with the shipping. So uh, I, I have good hopes for this. That will it, you know, it will match and meet the price point. But you know, it's you know, it's going to be this or several other games. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I think yeah. I'm going to order it anyways. But it's so much money. So yeah. Ah, sorry, Terraforming Mars. That's you know. <laughs> That's why you didn't get upgraded. All right, next up is the new game from designer Elizabeth Hargrave, um, coming from AEG, which is a huge get for them. So good job, guys. Mariposas. I love mm. everything about this game. I just... Me too. The theme... And the same way I felt about Wingspan when I saw it, I was like, this is great. This is a cool idea. But this one in particular, I just... Something about monarch butterflies, because they used to I used to see them where I lived uh, as a kid growing up. And it's just... to play out the migration patterns and kind of the way she's mapped out the seasons and how much work she put into like the science and wingspan. So I know that it's going to be here. I'm very excited for this one. Yeah. Same here. I I think this is going to be a a huge hit. As you mentioned, 
it's you got the science, you got the great production, you got Elizabeth Hargrave. You, you can't lose at this point. This is another one of the games that it's just it's a it's an instant buy. All right, next one up is the uh, summer release for Academy Games, One Small Step. This one was a Kickstarter for them um, last year, and it is a simulation of everything it took to get uh, Americans on the moon. And it's not as long as one might think for, you know, kind of a space simulation. It's like an hour to two hours. The wait's not too high overall, but I was really borderline on backing this on Kickstarter. I just didn't feel like I had quite enough information to make that leap. And I was actually looking forward to convention season to sit down and play it. Cause I know Academy is always really good at having copies of their stuff to buy. It's not going to happen now. So <laughs> I'll probably just have to take a look elsewhere, but I love games like this. I have space core. I have leaving earth. Um, I, I just anything that kind of goes through the space industry kind of simulates what it took to make these things happen. I'm always very interest, interested in. Uh, mm. So Looking forward to seeing this one, you know, whenever we get back to seeing people in person. Yeah, same here. I, I think this is going to be a constant hit at the table. All right. Next up, Imperial Settlers Rise of the Empire. This is the next expansion for Imperial Settlers, which by itself doesn't mean anything. Um, but this one in particular is different because it introduces another layer to the game. So instead of just adding new a new faction or some new cards. This one brings a whole new campaign setting. Um, the original campaign solo campaign that you could do uh, with Imperial Settlers was print and play. And it was fine. It was fun, but it wasn't like formal and it wasn't multiplayer. This one allows you to take the stuff that you do in each game and develop it over time. So you can advance, you can reach new eras and goals and technologies and kind of grow as a civilization, which honestly for me is all I ever really want in a Civ game. And this one kind of implements at least something at a basic level with that. The expansion also comes with 220 new cards. So like a pretty solid chunk of new stuff. So I'm pretty excited for this. Uh, I already pre-ordered it. It's coming whenever they feel like shipping it. (laughs) Um, But I think the official release is next week or the week after. So this one should be available pretty soon from your local stores. Yeah, I'm glad that this is coming out. And as you mentioned, this will probably hit your table before it hits mine. But It's definitely something that my group's been talking about for a while. All right. And then the last one here, which I don't believe we talked about yet, is Pendulum. Did we talk about this yet? Uh, I don't think we mentioned this one yet. Yeah. But let's be fair. It's it's about time. Go ahead. Oh. Oh. Just let that one breathe a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this is the new release from Stonemaier. This was the... Code name was it Sand? Sand. Yep. Yeah. So Sand. This sand is timer. Sand code name. Yeah. Yeah. And it is all about time. Um, it's some fantasy world or another. You're trying to I don't know something about the timeless king. There's sand timers. It's time stuff. This is not designed by uh, Stegmeyer. Actually, it is designed by a new designer Travis P. Jones, and it was their highest rated prototype in the history. They have a Stonemaier games design day. It was the best one they've ever had. So I know they're very excited about this one. We've not gotten a chance to see it or try it out yet. It just finally got like unveiled a week or two ago. Um, But it is shipping sometime in August, September. So it will be reaching the wider board game world very soon. And presumably like any Stonemaier release will explode and then it implode after that and then everybody will argue about it but it'll still come out on top because the games are generally quite good um 
I'm interested in it. I'm not a huge fan of action timers in any form, in any form in any game. So it'll have to do something pretty interesting with that for it not to bother me. But uh, I, I do like the idea of the other mechanics that are in there. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I, I think the one thing that you can always count on from Stegmeier is that they do go out on a limb and they do try to do something different and dynamic. And that's his kind of MO. So uh, I'm not sure if this is going to work, but I'm hopeful that it will work because if it if he's able to pull it off, that would be pretty impressive because as you mentioned, sand timers always get a bad rap because they just generally don't work well, no matter how you utilize them. And I think a while back there was a game that had like, I don't know, it was like a dozen or more sand timers that you had to, you know, put into play throughout the game. And it was just like, yeah, one or two would kind of bust down throughout the way. So yeah, looking forward to this. Hopefully this game delivers because it looks quite good. All right. So that's everything for this week. We are so glad to have you join us at the table. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. We'll save you a seat at the table. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.